Hi, listeners. This is episode 299 of the Short Game Podcast. That means that episode, the next episode is going to be episode 300. Thank you for sticking with us so long. Our next episode, episode 300, is going to be a Q&A episode where we are hoping to get questions from the listeners. And so if you have any questions for us, whether they be uh, questions about games or life or what we had for Thanksgiving dinner, serious questions, funny questions, all welcome. Uh, please send them to the show, and we will be doing as many of them as we can for our episode 300 spectacular. So you can send those to us in any way you can get in touch with the show. Uh, you can put them on our Discord if one of, you're one of our patrons. You can send them to us by email, info at theshortgame.net. You can use the contact form at our website. Uh, you can at us on Twitter, at underscore short game. All of those would be great. Uh, so with that, Thank you for joining us. Here's our uh, episode 299. Welcome back to The Short Game. This show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week once again by my two fine co-hosts. Nate Heininger. And Shane Kelly. And we are continuing our discussion of Inscription. So first off, if you happen to have missed last week's episode and are jumping in here, uh, take a look back in your podcast app. This is one of our very rare instances where we're doing a double episode. And this, is a, this episode is following on our coverage of Inscription. Inscription is a game with some really deep spoiler territory. And so we split our spoilers off. This is a spoiler episode. And so if you're listening to this and have not played Inscription, uh, now is probably where to get off. Go check out our previous episode if you are curious about Inscription and just sort of want an overview. Uh, we're going to be talking all spoilers today. At this point, we're assuming either you've played the game or you're making the willing choice to have a less good experience if you decide to play the game in the future. Because what we're yes. this game is all about its turns and twists. Games and, are about and, surprise, yeah. Yeah, and um, hearing about it will significantly reduce your enjoyment of the game, in my opinion, yeah. at least. Very likely. If you are continuing with us and you haven't played the game, uh, then we're just going to assume that you are the sort of person who loves spoilers and really wants yeah. to know everything there is to know about the about inscription uh so you know i, I can say that when i uh, went into this game i had had a little bit of spoiler in that like people online had been talking about this game in a way that was very like careful to avoid spoilers but there i was still like really blown away and surprised by a lot of this because it is one of those games that even knowing this is a game that's like trying to surprise you with twists uh, and knowing the history of the developer, um, it still swung for the fences in terms of surprise. Yeah, I think if you had asked me to like predict where the game was going after you uh, ostensibly escaped the cabin, um, I think I would have probably died of old age before I was able to predict the exact turn that this game makes it's uh absolutely it's pretty incredible and it was also that point after act one and we're going to talk about this game kind of in the acts that it that uh, it went through it was that transition from act one to act two where i started to feel like oh this is 
maybe one of my favorite games. <laughs> like the first act was great. And we spent a long time last week talking about how good it was and how good the game was. Um, but I was also because of the whole breaking nature of the card game, I was definitely starting to get a little bit like, okay, like, is this it? Like, I, I, am I just going to get out of the cabin and this game is done? The card game is fun, but I can break it on almost every round now. And that, while fun, is also, it takes away a lot of the challenge. So that is kind of less fun um, with enough time. It's like whenever you enable the cheat codes in a game, that's really when you're kind of like at the end of your time playing the game, you know? Um, I was starting to feel that same way about this. And then act two happens. I was like, uh, perfectly timed. It was right when I was starting to get bored with the the core game. And then the overall twist and just the, the direction the game took was wild. But anyway, enough talking about all of that. Let's, let's dive into it. So where we left off, we were talking, we talked at great length about the entire, what became the first act of the game. Uh, this game appears on the surface to be a game that's set in this cabin, a sort of escape the room style cabin. And you're having this, uh, this uh, wild card game with the shadowy dark presence. Um, somebody want to talk about what happens when you beat that game? Absolutely. So I think to kind of lead into this, um, the act one is kind of a, a progression through a bunch of different bosses. You know, you start off, you beat the prospector and then there's the angler with his hook. And, uh, then you get to the trapper and all of these, by the way, have really cool boss mechanics. But once you get the hang of them, uh, you can really kind of outplay them and play against them and, and make your way to the final boss, which is uh, the kind of dark presence that's been sitting across from you. And it, as you kind of approach this cabin at the end, um, I believe that's when it tells you, oh, you're entering Leshy's Woods, which is the first time you're seeing the name Leshy. Have you, have you guys ever seen the name Leshy anywhere else before? No. I uh, someone brought it up in the Discord, right? It's like an evil forest sprite or something like that yeah there's a um so i i i wasn't sure what it was but initially it called to mind um lessons or the lesson for me which was you know i've I've played a lot of the witcher and uh, the lesson is a sort of woodsy uh like Tr- like e- kind of imagine like an evil walking tree kind of creature that like features really heavily in the beginning like the first act or so of um uh, I think it was The Witcher 3. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they're drawing on the same thing here. Uh, the Leshy uh, is like a, a forest spirit in, I think, Russian. So so John from, uh, John from Gaming in the Wild, friend of the show, uh, he wrote that Leshy uh, is a type of Slavic forest spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's got to be, like, that has to be intentional, right? This is a yeah. forest spirit dwelling i mean leshy in this game like once you try finally get a good look at him he has this sort of like forest spirit or like moss man kind of look right he's like a he's he's like a like a grizzled old man it's got sticks and shit in his hair yeah sticks in his hair and everything so yeah and in fact if you if you look up like leshy on wikipedia like there's a picture that looks a lot like him yeah that's funny when you finally see him, you've been looking at him the whole time, but you know it's been a, it's a very effective uh, 
vibe that you have from Leshy, the whole act one, because it's just his eyes. And then occasionally when you get to these bosses, each of the bosses is really represented by a mask that he's putting on. So you're never seeing his real face until you're facing off against him in this final boss fight. And when you get to him, he has like three big phases. Uh, so it's a, it's a long boss battle longer than any of the previous ones. Um, you know, the first is kind of just a regular attack, but it's all rare cards. So when you've beaten bosses, you've been able to get these rare cards. So you get, you get a wave of those. Then Leshy has a wave of just the death cards. And I thought this phase of the boss fight was absolutely brilliant because as you've been dying, you've been getting this chance to make these busted, super overpowered cards. And the fact that the game like is aware of the fact, okay, hey, they're going to make these crazy busted cards. Let's turn that around on the player and say, okay, can you beat these crazy cards that you yourself designed? Loved that. And then the final moment in the boss fight, phase three, uh, is where things get absolutely completely nuts and it's a very cool moment. Uh, Leshy, who has been using his camera to make these death cards, you know, he can he can seemingly turn people into cards by photographing them or beasts into cards. Uh, he looks behind him and he says, this moon, it's, I don't know, I forget what he says exactly. He just, he says, uh, he loves the moon, but it provides no value to my board. And he snaps a picture of the moon and makes it into a card. And the moon is a card with like 40 health that has quadruple <laughs> attack. It attacks all four lanes. Um, it can block flying creatures. The the whole, the, the visual of like, he just makes a gigantic card. It's the full yeah. width of the board. I thought that was so cool. It's very like, cool. It's, it's never cool. done anything with like different sized cards up to this point. And so suddenly he has just a big ass card. <laughs> it's also though, awesome. probably the easiest fight of the, of every round too, because it really only does one damage to each spot and you probably at this point have stronger cards. And also another way you can cheese it is if you have the card that reduces the, the stink card. Um, if you play a stink card, it'll reduce the moon's attack to zero <laughs> unless she's like, like, Hey, that's not fair, you know, but there's nothing it does about it. And you just, now it's not even, a this is exactly anymore. what I love about this game because it knows that you, the player are going to be, finding ways around it and exploiting it and it is prepared for that in these interesting ways uh i mean another way you can deal with it is if you have a card with death touch uh or the touch of death ability that just kills the moon in one yeah i think that's what i did (laughs) (laughs) one hit (laughs) i so i loved i love that fight too and i another thing i was just gonna mention about about the fighting that's another thing uh yeah well the the one last thing i'll mention about the the moon fight was that like and this is a, a bit of a, a um a sidetrack but like i i love that so much because it re- it also reminded me of the end of uh portal 2 uh which is you know it's not the same thing at all but like having the moon be this like wild presence at the end like yeah I, I, here again spoilers for portal 2 but the game is ancient so if you haven't played that maybe skip ahead a few seconds but like the that 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 moment at the end of portal 2 that i've always thought was like the most perfect way to end that video game ever they shoot they made this whole thing uh after you know uh through little jokes that the the like portal active surfaces are 
made out of moon dust at great expense. And then finally, you know, you can shoot a portal at the moon because of course you can. It works on moon dust and, you know, uses that to like suck GLaDOS out into space or whatever. And that was like so perfect because it's like so off the wall. Like, of course, there's the moon. It's it just seems like an environmental detail. And here's the same thing. It's the moon is this like very moody environmental detail up in the background while you're in this cabin. And suddenly it's on the board as a card yeah. in this very wild upending. I, I think it's just super, super good. It really is a great boss fight. And the 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 way that it you know adds an extra um level of difficulty to it with these, like um it, they can make it extra hard because they're challenging you to have done a lot of the puzzles because there's this I don't think we've really talked much about how much I like the mechanic that they have. We're still talking about Act One, really. The the mechanic that they have uh a lot in act one where they have these little challenges where they ask you um, to pick something you basically to make a bet about your deck. There's this like event you can get. I really loved where it says like, it's going to deal you three cards that each represent like some challenge. Like uh, one of them might be uh, health. One of them might be abilities or whatever. And if if you pick the one for abilities, it's going to deal three random cards out and it says, well, you have to have three abilities. You have to have creatures with abilities on them. Or it might be uh, from these three cards, you have to have a total of six health, stuff like that. And there are additional kind of higher difficulty challenges like that um, as you come in to the cabin and you can get these boons that are special extra buffs like the ability to draw an extra card at the start of your turn, things like that. Super powerful. The Draw two cards is obviously insane, but also the one where you can – Pick whatever card you want out of your deck, which if you're later in the game and you have all these crazy death cards, you certainly have some broken cards in your deck. So being able to just grab that right out of the gates is is wild. But even with all that, the fight is still I would actually say that 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 element does kind of make the moon fight a little bit less difficult. And I think that's actually a good choice for this game. Like the, the end boss fight is not the toughest of all I'm always a believer in that being a thing honestly like I'm always a believer that like their final boss fight is for is for mood and story you know you put your really toughest boss fight before that to the next well uh, I would argue at least in the context of deck builders uh and roguelikes that's not often the case uh, True, but also know. then again, this is by far not the final boss fight of the game, anyway. Yes, that's so right. for all, sure. All but I, I agree, though. Down. I think the the um, trap trapper trader was a more difficult boss fight than the final fight. I'm just saying, like your slay of the spires, your FTLs, like the hardest thing is the last boss. You know, and I think there's some cool things about that too. But I think for a game that is wrapped around story. Yeah, you don't want to get all the way to the final boss and wipe like seven times because that's not really what this game is about. It's really about getting past Leshy. If he was actually the final mm-hmm. boss, like you said, and feel different. And when you beat him, you get something completely unexpected. The first time you beat Leshy, it kind of cuts out. Um, it, the application switches v- visually over to something called Camworks, which is like a video, which a bunch of video files. And if I wasn't already sold on the game when it was uh, like a kind of a deck building card crawler 
Uh, I was sold on the game when I realized, oh, this is also a uh, Blair Witchy found footage FMV game because <laughs> this is when you get the first... You, you have heard at the very, very beginning when you're loading up the game, when you load it for the very first time, you hear a voice saying, you know, a, a hard drive or a disk drive spinning up and you hear a voice saying something like, oh, let's see what's on this. Yeah. And, easy and to miss, I 100% voice. missed that. And there's a couple points where like, miss. I think the first time you, the, one of the first times, I think it might be the trapper trader boss or something like that. Um, you'll, you'll get a, whoa. That is yeah. above everything. Um, but like, at least for me, I was like, well, that's strange, but whatever, you know, just <laughs> yeah. if you do runs, if you do runs after this first successful run of, of the first one uh, of the first act, then, uh, you know, you're going to hear a lot of commentary from yeah. the person we're about to see, which is Luke Carter, the lucky Carter, uh, who is basically a um, collectible card game pack opening youtuber that most loathsome of human scum <laughs> oh, no. no i uh, i uh i'm not a fan of pack opening videos but i do love i do absolutely love me some uh, uh some collectible card games as you know reagan ring that bell because uh, i want to talk about magic the gathering but uh luke luke has a um luke has a uh little youtube channel where he is the lucky carter um, and he is just, you know, doing pack openings of, uh, I forget what it was at the, at the start, but, but anyway, uh, the, the, the rough plot here is basically that Luke has bought some packs of a one set collectible card game called Inscription. And when he cracks them open, he's finding some cards inside. And you're like, he's like, oh, well, okay, well, what's my rare in this pack? It's the Blue Mage. Yep, not very valuable. And he says something like, well, you know, I mean, it's uh, for the for the price I got these for. Uh, this is this is still pretty good. Uh, it's going to be just fun to open these. Um, and, you know, you know, what do you know? The uh, foil Mantis God still goes for, you know, over a hundred bucks. So. I'm like, okay, maybe we'll. <laughs> I, I did think it was God. interesting. I thought it was interesting that, like, he knew the card game inscription. You know, like, this wasn't entirely, I don't know, it obviously sounds like a niche right. game. Yeah, it's, but, it's like, setting up a world in which yeah. inscription was a CCG and not. That's the thing that's very confusing an when you first see this one. is like, as an unsuccessful CCG and not a video game, right? And not a uh, not a I don't know snuff experience escape the room <laughs> thing. <laughs> You're like inscription. The CCG was I playing inscription? The CCG with Leshy? Where where does this interact with with yeah. what was going on? But yeah. then of so course for, you, for you, people you, who might not be in this world, I'm kind of and because I'm at least I'm of a certain age. But I'll, I know a lot of our listeners never paid attention to this kind of thing. But there was a boom for collectible card games. This is this is this. Has, there's a verisimilitude mm-hmm. to this. So you know you got your Pokemon, you've got your Magic the Gathering, you got your Yu Gi Oh. That's your big three. But like you might not realize that there are dozens, probably you know fifty plus you know, late 90s failed attempts at making a collectible card game. And there's like, there's like multiples of them that are themed around Star Trek. Uh, There's 
superhero ones. They're, they tried to take the Illuminati board game and make it into one. They tried to take James Bond and make it into one. They tried to take, uh, they tried to make a football one. There's like so many of them. And there's, there's absolute butt tons of fantasy uh, collectible card games. In, in the 90s, I was a big baseball and basketball card fan. And so I would go to these big card expos and it would be like I you know, I need to ask you more about this because I've never literally never understood the appeal of collectible sports cards on any level. So please go ahead. Well, to be fair, I was a children. So I was really into <laughs> uh, children, yes, I was really into uh, it's really the only time in my life I've considered myself a collector. I really don't generally collect things, um, but I, I really liked baseball and basketball and basketball cards and baseball cards were a big part of being a fan of those things, at least being a kid at that time. And uh, my older brother was also even more into it. So I probably was just, you know, trying to do whatever he was doing. But um, the part where him and I completely diverge is that we'd go to these card expos and I'd end up just like going and playing all these really crazy demos of these CCGs, like almost never buying anything, but just being amazed at all these really almost all of them sci-fi based. It seemed Um, all of these crazy CCGs and these booths set up for them and characters and stuff. And then I'd walk out of there with like four more Shaquille O'Neal basketball cards, (laughs) but uh, a lot of, a lot of memories of those, which was a lot of fun. You know, and I had the same kind of experience, but it was just through comic shops and stuff. I used to yeah. really enjoy non-sports collectible cards. Like, Magic was great, and I loved collecting my Magic cards. But I would also just get anything that had a picture of, like, a dragon or, uh, like, a yeah. like a hot babe in a chainmail bikini on it. Mm-hmm. Or a Power Ranger. Or a, tur- <laughs> a turtle. Just turtles. Normal turtles. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a fairly sizable collection of non-sports fantasy art trading cards that I have kept with me to this yeah. day. I still have a full Jurassic Park set. It's like 200 oh. cards of Jur- Jurassic Park. It's somewhere in my basement. Got to be worth it. big money now. <laughs> it's somewhere tucked away with my, no joke, over 300 Shaquille O'Neal basketball cards. <laughs> <laughs> That's my retirement dude. fund. <laughs> Those are dude, going to the moon, dude, baby. Dude. The original <laughs> NFTs. so yeah i mean i so this is these videos what did you guys think of the video element of this game i it was a little bit corny but to me it was like tickling my it was i loved it 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 was like a a bullet aimed at my heart directly so i want to know what you thought about it no i i've never watched a single one of the videos that they're you know mimicking in this and i loved it i thought that Besides the mystery that it immediately like dumps on you, where this whole game, the whole world of this game has expanded dramatically and abruptly. Besides and all you, that, now you have no idea where what you were just playing for the last four plus hours even yeah, fits in. What is what have I been doing? It completely opens up everything. Besides all that, I just thought that the guy Luke Carter. It was a great performance, very uh, charismatic. <laughs> it was kind of fun to watch his videos, you know, like I, I enjoyed it. I was like, well, maybe I would like a, a mm. <laughs> you know, a, a card opening uh, uh, YouTube video because it was fun. Now, Shane, I have a question for you because I I, I know it, the, the, this precise order of events here isn't super important, but like 
my memory was that the thing that happens directly after beating Leshy is you get his camera, right? And or does that does that require a second a second victory? Because so what happens after you beat Leshy? I think is it just cuts to the videos. No, 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 no. Okay, so you do get the camera. Yeah. You're, so let me. You're right. Me, we're out of, out of sequence bit. a little bit. And what happens yeah. next really depends on whether or not you've solved enough of the cabin puzzles. Because at a certain oh. point, and I won't really spoil the cabin puzzles here, but um, the the pivotal thing that happens with the cabin puzzle is you unlock the knife that's being held by the squirrel statue, and then if you have used it, you, um, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that you're pulling your own teeth, which, by the way, you know, I, I, I think we did discuss with some people on the Discord, like, that's a that could be a showstopper right there for some people playing this game, because some people really don't like the idea of pulling their own teeth out. Some people. I think <laughs> most funny people thing. don't. Um, most people don't like the funny, idea no. of pulling their. But it's a real. It's a real. Uh, it's a. It's a point of contention for many. Um, but the if you don't like that, how how are you going to really like when you gouge out your eye with a with a, mm-hmm. a rusty knife? Oddly enough, second game that we've played for the show that involved gouging out your own eye this year that I can think of. Dude, we have been in. <laughs> this is, by the way, one of the places where I feel like they are um, gating the player to try to keep the player in act one for like a defined amount of time, because I've seen uh, some people who are really good card game players. I mentioned in the, in the first episode that it tries to keep you there by uh, basically pulling some really unfair shit where if you're getting too far too fast and not unlocking and experiencing act one enough. It just does a bear wave where it fills the whole board with, with uh, two rows of back to back bears to, to kill you. But if you do get through that, that happened to me and I could not figure out why that happened. And it never happened to me again, where I got no. double bear walled. I was like, what the fuck is this? And you know, obviously that is the game saying, fuck yeah. you experience act one before you move on. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And the puzzles do this too. Because if you haven't, um, if like if if it doesn't feel like you've spent enough time in Act One, then when you get the replacement eye the first time, you might not get the arcane glowy wizard eye. In the box, there's a there's a bunch of eyes, right? He if you once you've taken out your own eye, he says, "Well, what can I offer you a a, a replacement eye?" And he opens a box full of eyes. And actually, two things I want to say about that box full of eyes, because one of them is plot relevant and one of them is just fucking hilarious. The plot relevant one is that there's a glowing wizardy looking eye. And if you take that one, lots of secrets are revealed throughout the cabin. Right. And that's going to allow you to progress the game. But the hilarious one is that one of the eyes is a goat eye. And if you put the goat eye in your head, then the next time you see a card that is the black goat, uh, it has cutie anime eyes. Uh, and is wearing lingerie. That is amazing. I wish I had done that. It's oh, so funny. I totally missed that. That's awesome. <laughs> it took me so long to figure out why it was doing that. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck happened to my goat? That's so that funny. That whips. That's so good. I, uh, there's so much fu- there's so much funny shit in this game. Sorry, Nate, go ahead. No, you're yeah, there is there is so much funny shit. And it, it's funny that I I so I didn't know that the wall of bears was sort of a, a slowdown mechanic because um, one of the only things that like I I won't say I was frustrated with the game because it was me being dumb is that like I was actually not very good at the cabin puzzles and I kept making the wrong decision of 
oh, I bet I have to beat Leshy now. Like I, I assumed there was something like do these couple things, then beat Leshy, and then the puzzles will proceed. I get the picture now that like for the most part, you could pretty much finish Act 1 with maybe two Leshy kills, but I'm stupid. And so I beat Leshy five times uh, wow. b- before I ultimately figured out like – I got stuck um, where, and this is so. This is stupid. So it's not on. It's not on the game. It's on me. It's like I couldn't figure out where to put the wolf down. So I was like, "Oh, I guess I should be holding the wolf, and I'll beat Leshy, and that'll do something." And then I beat Leshy, and it's just like, "Okay, well, that didn't do anything for me." Uh, and then I and I probably died a couple times while trying to beat Leshy. And so that I spent like an hour longer just like holding this stupid wolf before I finally saw like, oh my God, right there on the table is where you put it. And like the, the wolf is on a little octagon shaped plinth. There's yeah, an octagon shaped hole. Yeah, I, I Shane, I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this is very funny to me because like I um I'm pretty sure I only beat Leshy once. And it's because like I was I, I was not doing as well at the card game as either of you guys because hey, that's me. I'm not that good at card games. And um so I like I had gotten pretty far, maybe even exhausted all of the like cabin puzzles before I was ever able to make a final successful run. It took me a lot of tries to even get um and I you know I I think I may I lost one Leshy fight and then won the last one i tried interesting um, so did it go was, was it did it like so did you get the full motion video and then it went straight to like act two in the in the big you transition? know honestly it's a little hard for me to remember exactly where yeah. the full motion video bit ended up i think it might have been after the first time i died either way when you when you get the fmv it cuts away and then it cuts back and then leshy has served you uh, uh i guess a cake it's like literally a pile of Oh, of yeah. like meat uh, animal guts shit. or something with a yeah. candle and he says he's basically congratulating you and and one of two things is going to happen either you've solved enough puzzles to have acquired the film or you haven't and if you've if you haven't acquired the film which is what happened for me unless she takes you, you have a chance to try and grab the camera unless she's like you think i would just leave that lying around with no film he takes the camera away, he loads it, then he snaps a picture of you. And then he takes that picture and he pins it to the door. And you know, you can have a few of instead of making a death card of you, he basically memory he's like, Congratulations, you did great. <laughs> Here, let's do it again. And so this is this is, I think, part of what makes Act One's pacing so kind of secretly controlled, like it's like I. It's going to be encouraging you to run through it a few times, uh, but if Act One is becoming kind of a slog for you, like I guess it was for Reagan, um, you know, maybe you probably have gotten through those puzzles faster, and then you know, one run through Leshy is fine. So you might not have this mm-hmm. like repeating because if you have the film, yeah. then you load the film into the camera and then you turn the camera on Leshy, and then. In one of my favorite moments in the entire game, you snap a picture of him and then suddenly pinned to the wall where he was standing is a Leshy card. And now you're just in a room and you can kind of you haven't been able to turn around and look around in this room prior prior to this, even though you've been there every time you've died before you turn around and you see, well, there's a pile of corpses uh, I was about (laughs) to become a part of. And there's apart from the pile of corpses, 
there's a, just a few mysterious things in this room. There's a uh, broken robot. Uh, there's a dead old lady uh, there in, in, that you can kind of vaguely see peeking out from a casket. Uh, there's Leshy's death card. Uh, there's a dead-looking pile of brush, I guess. Um, and then glowing next to you, there's something that has been missing from the very beginning of the game, which is the new game button, which is glowing and hovering in the back corner. Yeah, and mysteriously, from the very beginning of the game, the main menu, when you load up the game, it's, you know, it says inscription, it says click to, to continue, and then there's the screen where you can choose you know, new game settings, etc., and since the very beginning of the game, the only option has been continue, there has been no new game button, uh, and here it is, in the back of Leshy's cabin, glowing and vibrating and making creepy sounds, it's there, yep. you can take it. How long did it take you guys to figure out that you had to then back out of the game? So long! Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I, okay. You can't really seen... leave the room, so there's not much else you yeah, can do. Yeah, you take... You, that, you before we it, get you... off of that and into that into that whole <laughs> progression, I do want to finish talking about those FMVs because the story that happens sure. in there is important. Um, Luke Carter, we mentioned, doing a YouTube pack opening inside of one of these inscription packs that he mentions he picked up at a garage sale. He, he notices it's been resealed. He says, well, and this does happen. You know, people will open up these older packs of cards and uh, reseal them and take out the good rares uh, because sealed packs from old CCGs are often more valuable than the cards themselves. Um, but what does he find inside? It's not that someone has taken out the rare. It has that someone has put something in. They put in a set of GPS coordinates, which, you know, in true YouTuber style, he follows and he goes out into the woods and i'm like no fuck no what are you doing don't go into the woods <laughs> no what i i was sure he so was at dead. that point i was at thinking he point. was going to get trapped in a cabin with leshy i was like sure this was the gps coordinates for the cabin yeah yeah right i thought so too yeah but he what he does is he goes to these coordinates and what does he find he finds a floppy disk buried he digs it up. It's a geocache, which is also like essentially, something, you know, very, very 90s or, or early 2000s yeah. about that is like geocaching. Remember that when that was a thing? I know there are still people that do it, but you remember when that was something that people talked about constantly on the Internet about geocaching? Yep. Yeah, it was before uh, everyone had remember. smartphones. Now that everyone has a smartphone, it's not cool anymore because everyone could do it. It was only cool when you were like, and I own a GPS and I want to figure out something to do with I it. I found a pile of shit. In the woods. <laughs> so uh, he brings this this labeled floppy disk that says inscription on it. He brings it back. And uh, my favorite of these clips, by the way, is the one where he's like, he like has the camera on himself. And he's like pointing it at himself. He's like looking at, he's looking at floppy disk drive, USB floppy disk drives on eBay. And he's like, all right. And it'll be here in three days. And he like turns to the camera and he's like, Great video. <laughs> yeah. I love that too. It's like eleven dollars. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Funny. it's funny. Uh, he is he is charismatic. It's fun to watch him. Can we, can we talk for a second about like Luke Carter as a character and like like he's sure. so what did you think of the acting there? Because like I, I think it's like I'm I'm really of two minds. He's he's like so corny that like I found it endearing in this like horror setting that it, but because he's campy right he's he's, yeah. like, he's he's over the top um i kind of buy him as like but he, he feels like he feels like his personality is like the on camera personality of like right. a mediocre youtuber but 
I mean, we're only seeing him through his own videos, so maybe that's just what he's maybe he's maybe he's different when the cameras right. aren't running. But even in the moments that seem like private moments, he kind of has that vibe. So I thought it was kind of odd. Well, everything is filmed for his show, so you're seeing. You're never not seeing just like his persona, you know, yeah. his persona. Yeah. Um, but I did think yeah, I thought he was good. I said it earlier. I thought he was great. I think as an actor, I think he did a good job. And then I think the tone fit fit really well with that, like, especially um, the Leshy's cabin, you know, is the creepiest part of the game. It actually loses most of its creepiness after Leshy's cabin. Um, and mm-hmm. he is such an it's like complete opposites of the tone of Leshy's cabin are his FMV videos. And I just, I loved that. Like this is it's yeah. so world. The, the game has shown a sense of humor before, but this is where you really start to see that this game is going to have like tonal range. Like, because it, it, right. it, it is such a shock here to see it move from uh, like one kind of horror to, I guess another, but with kind of a lighter tone this, in, in, you know, in, to answer your question, Reagan, this is no, this is not like directed by Sam Barlow. Uh, this is, this is not like the, but, but I, I think it is, it is historically, uh, this is at least on par for the quality of FMV in video games. Yeah. It's better than average for FMV, I guess. At the end of the day, like if you actually took all the clips of Luke Carter, put them together in the entire game it's probably like three minutes of video, right? Like it's constant. There's one that's maybe close to a minute long, but most of them are like 10 to 20 seconds. And then there's a lot of spooky uh, static and fuzz and stuff that just mixed in between. So he's not even actually on camera that much. And that's why I think too, the, the like sort of over the top campiness of him works even more because you don't even see him that much. But when you do, it's like, it's very dramatic. It's very funny. I, I really liked it. I thought he did a good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, we learn a, a little bit from these FMVs. We learn that there's a company, I think it's mentioned early in this in this, this segment, sequence, Game Funa, that was responsible for the creation of the CCG. Um, but the video game version of Inscription is totally unheard of. Uh, Luke Carter, who's the sort of person who you would think would know, he's doing YouTube videos about the game, uh, is unaware of there having ever been a video game version, but he finds this this diskette and, you know, buys a USB floppy drive and installs it. And it's pretty obvious at this point that we are, when we're playing this game, we are playing as Luke Carter. I want to mention here um, that this this is the this is the connection to the, I guess, the Daniel Mullins verse or whatever. Right. Um, game Funa is the same game company that is kind of part of the story of uh, Pony Island and the Hex. Um, so this is kind of the, uh, you know, and, and Pony Island is the only one of these that I really have any experience with, but Pony yeah, Island the Hex is either. basically the pony game uh, by game Funa that is actually, you know, you get trapped in this game with the devil or whatever. Um, <laughs> and so haunted games are kind of the through line here. Uh, but, the 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 thing about what we when we so we drops you back in right it takes you back in to the game and you go back to sitting across from Leshy and if you or, have or you finally, don't in my case yeah or you don't or you if don't. you have right. beaten it um and you know when you do get past Leshy uh okay so the next thing that's happening is that uh 
you know, we see, now have the context for the actual game that was being played, which is this is the game that uh, Luke Carter was playing that he found on this floppy disk, right? And he, he, he could find no record of anyone having made a digital version of this old, unsuccessful card game inscription. But now we can launch it, and we do. And yeah, start a new game to, from the menu. Starting and a new game that, from the menu, we get we we get we're loaded into a uh, kind of an opening cutscene uh, in like classic eight bit style graphics that shows us. Uh, you know, I wish I had some of the dialogue from that, but basically it says in the beginning there were cards and inscribers. Scribes that created the cards, and then it goes through the four scribes and how they made their magic cards. And basically, this is what it reads as what it plays as is basically like the lore from a kind of corny card game, right? It's it's telling you that there was uh hang on, I took some notes from this part. It's a huge tonal shift and visual shift here, and this was one of the first place where my jaw really hit the floor because right. you know, so far we've been playing this game that has this vaguely retro aesthetic, and then it's sort of doing this like shader to look a little bit like a CRT or something. But suddenly we're in a, a graphical world that looks very, very reminiscent for me at least of um, uh, Undertale or maybe a graphics art style. I think is actually most similar to something like Anodyne. Uh, sort of a looks like a you know a modern eight bit retro style indie game, but like the premise here is that we're playing an actual game from the you know early PC DOS days. Yeah, uh, and uh, the intro is great and uh, gives us this context of the world that you know the, that Leshy, who we've been fighting this entire time, is just one of these four scribes who have created cards. There are four. There is Grimora, the scribe of the dead, who makes her scribe who makes her cards by uh, inscribing the epitaphs of uh, creatures that have died. There's Leshy, the scribe of beasts, who uses his wildlife camera to take pictures of beasts. There's Po three, the scribe of technology, uh, who uh, I think assembles them out of robot parts. And there is Magnificus the scribe of magics who uses a magic paintbrush to uh, paint his subjects into cards. And yeah, so it's at this point we realize we get more of a full context on Leshy, who has been the dealer uh, of cards from the beginning of this story. Uh, Okay. So he's just one of these scribes. And also it's putting into context the character cards. So we've had these character cards. We've had the stoat, We've had the uh, stink bug um, and we've had the um, stunted wolf and we we get the we finally get the context that these character cards were actually because slowly through the game. I don't know if we mentioned this or not. The appearance of these character cards has kind of morphed. Uh, So the stoat slowly starts to look a little bit more boxy and it's a little more like a play date. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the um, uh, the stink bug starts to look more like a lady, and the uh, the stoat the sorry the what is it the stunted wolf starts to look more like a weird beardy guy. And uh, yeah, so the reason is Leshy has trapped those characters in cards using his camera and has kind of 
taken over the game, like taken over the entire game. But now that we have the new game button restored, we're able to go back and play the game as it was meant to be played, which is uh, that we, the player, are kind of tasked with replacing one of the four scribes. And to do so, we start by choosing a deck of cards that will be kind of a starter deck based on one of the four decks of cards. What did you guys pick? Because I picked, uh, I played this section twice, and I, in the first run through, I pl- I picked the technology deck, and in the second run through, I picked uh, the deck of the dead. I uh, I also picked uh, PO three, which is funny because uh, um, a good friend of mine also played this game, and he also picked PO three first. Mm. So that's three I, of us. I did uh, Grimora's deck, the the deck of of zombies and the dead, or whatever. Um, so I, yeah, I'm sure that there's like different stuff that you slightly see with these, but this particular choice is basically, it doesn't give you enough context to make it in an informed way. You kind of just have to go by, well, which vibe do I want to feel like, but it gives you a starter deck based on that person's mechanic. Um, but you will get over the course of this following act, a chance to interact with four different deck styles, different mechanic styles, um, in a very you know, uh, collectible card game kind of way, this game inscription that is being recreated in this video game within a video game um, is a game with sort of like, just like magic has these multiple different colors inscription, the collectible card game and also game within a game has uh, four different approaches to play and sort of deck styles. Uh, there's the one that's represented by Leshy that has his uh, has his sacrifice mechanic, um, but you also can then face off within this game within a game this sort of RPG version of Inscription that you get to boot into against the uh, zombie deck, which has um, oh, what's the mechanic called there again? It's the, brittle um, brittle bones the or bone something tokens. like that. Yeah, 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 bones bones tokens, which you've seen before, but it's like entirely based around that. Um, uh, or the magic mechanic, which uses gems and moxes, uh, which is this whole thing. I don't know if we need to spend a bunch of time getting into the mechanics of all of these. That's but. actually, yeah, that's a magic reference. The, the 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 idea of a mox is something that was made up for the alpha magic set. There were these magical gems. That, so let, let me run through these, because this is where I think the game gets... So first off, I absolutely love any game that has the absolute cojones to have something as uh, strong as the first act of this game was and be willing to completely throw it out and do something very different in act two. And they're doing something Mm -hmm. very different, not just stylistically with the eight bit presentation instead of the kind of retro 3d, they are throwing tons of mechanics out. So this is no longer a roguelike. This is now a game where you, um, I would say it plays out more like an RPG where your little character moves around and you can get into these different fights, but the it plays almost like a Pokemon or something like that. You're collecting cards as you go by opening packs of cards. And mechanically, this initial choice in Act 2 uh, has a, a significant difference, although it is possible to collect all of the cards for all four sets. Uh, which is what I the reason I went back to play Act Two again, really. So I really wanted to do that and see all the cards. But um, in in Act Two, when you pick the these different ones, we're basically faced with the four different tribes, and th- this is where I think it's really brilliant in the game design. Is that 
I've never seen a card game like this where, um, you know, like magic, we have a faction system, right? There's the built-in faction identity of color uh, of, of the magic in, in, in Magic the Gathering. And I've seen other games like that, but I've never seen one where each of these different factions has a completely different resource mechanic. And the ability to play and mix and match across those resources is very, very cool. Act one, you do get a little bit of that. Once you get a couple of runs in and you start using bones, bones are this secondary resource, but each of the four different scribes has its own and they all play very differently. So we've talked about Leshy. Leshy's cards are based on sacrifice and you're using squirrels, but already that is different because in act two, you don't have two decks. You have one deck. So you have to, you have to draw from a single deck. And if you're playing Leshy's, you just have to hope you draw squirrels in your opening hand, right? So you, so you have to be able to play it out that way. In the, um, the death deck, the Grimora deck, um, your, uh, your main resource is really these skeletons that have a, I think it's, I forget the magic equivalent of this is called decayed, I think, but it's. It's, uh, I, I don't know it's if that's brittle. the term. Yeah, that's what I was talking brittle. about earlier. I, the I think brittle, brittle skeletons. Yeah. <clears throat> um, where it's a creature that can, can't block and it can attack once. And when it attacks, it dies, basically. So uh, that is the basis for you know getting a death engine going and collecting these, these uh, tokens for the bone tokens that represent creatures having died. Um, then... In the technology deck, the, the deck with PO3, this is more of a uh, something that's really common across these kinds of games. Every turn, you're getting one additional resource. It's kind of like gems in Hearthstone. You start off with one, turn two, you have two, turn three, you have three, and so on. And there's things that can um, you know advance you and, and give you additional resources. Um, and then the, the final one, the... Um, uh, the ma- the one with magic. This one's the one based on those moxes. Some of the cards are these magic gems, and cards can be played or not depending on whether or not you have these gems on the board. So the gems are free to play, but once you have a gem of a particular color, you can play any and all of the cards you have in your hand of that corresponding color. Um, and those gems themselves take up a slot on the board and can act as a blocker. Uh, and I think there are three uh, different colors of gem. So this, and then it, this is for the first time, you might have noticed prior to this in the pause menu, there is a option to adjust or edit your deck. And it shows up from act one, but you could never activate it. But now finally you can, because in this set, uh, you are able, you're being asked to build a deck. I really love the way that this kind of eases you into that because the idea of actually building a deck by hand is kind of core to many, many card games. Uh, but one of the things that I think has made uh, deck building roguelikes so popular is that they ask you to build your deck through a series of simple challenges and questions and and options right they don't give you a pool of cards you have collected and say build something that will work cohesively out of this and that is what is being asked of you here you're being asked to go around and collect these packs and play them so that's what i really like mechanically about this there's a ton of really cool cards let's talk about the progression like the actual story in this act yeah well and and if i can add just a, a two notes real quick one 
to, to your point about deck building, they do give you a button that says auto complete, which if you really don't want to spend the time building your own deck, or that is still just a daunting idea, you can just press that button and it's going to build like a pretty good deck for you. So even there is an out. The decks that builds, I think are not competitive at all. Anytime I tried that, button, <laughs> it was a real loser deck. So that's funny because that's I started mine off of that. And then I went in and edited it off of that. But I started and I ended up only really interacting with two of the mechanics. And I ended up not even making significant major changes to my deck because I, I don't know. I never found it super challenging. But uh, the thing I loved, besides all this cool new complex mechanic, which I loved for all the reasons you just explained, um, I said it a little bit earlier, but like, you know, I, I beat Leshy five times. And by the time I was finishing up act one, I was pretty bored with that version of the card building or the, uh, the card game. It was really cool. I loved it, but I was like, I'm done. Like I, I can't, I've beat Leshy enough times. I'm, this is not a, a challenging card game for me anymore. And it was right when I was starting to feel that is when the whole game switches up and now there's all these new card game mechanics and that card game had brand new fresh life and it was awesome. And I felt right back into enjoying the card game, which was like such good pacing. I had a pretty similar experience, although for me, it was like just when I was starting to get frustrated with it. Like I, I was reaching peak frustration with not being able to get to and beat Leshy. Um, and, you know, then finally I did it. And then suddenly like and I was like, wait. This is a roguelike. Am I going to have to do that again? Is yeah. it going to be like the same struggle for the same payout once again? Because I'd already heard from other people that they had beaten Leshy multiple times. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. I'm yeah. kind of done. But then like, nope, Leshy's gone. And suddenly it's like, uh, like it's like reaching out to me and saying, hey, you remember you remember Undertale? You like that? <laughs> yeah. Here's something kind of like that, which is like a super, super smart uh, approach. And then also like. Yeah, while it was a little bit daunting in that it's like suddenly dumping you into a new game with new mechanics to learn, and I just felt like I'd kind of started mastering the old one, it also dials the difficulty way down, I thought, at this point. Um, because, you know, each time it's it's not a roguelike. You're not getting thrown back to the beginning every time you lose. You can fight somebody, lose, and try the exact same fight exactly again. You know, maybe tweak your deck a little, try the exact fight again. Um, and... Yeah. And also in general, like there's there's a lot more easy fights here because it's trying to onboard you with new mechanics and give you ways to like add to your deck. So, you know, when you start up, for example, um, uh, I chose the the deck from Grimora, the the like death and bones based deck. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, OK, I'll, you get a choice of which. Uh, which scribes to go fight first. Some of them are walled off, but I think you have a choice between Grimora and somebody else. I chose to go ahead and go to Grimora. Leshy. It's Leshy and Right, Grimora. okay, Leshy. Yep. You can go to Grimora like, well, or no, I'm Leshy not going, first. Yeah, <clears throat> and I'm not going back to Leshy. I just fought Leshy. So I went to Grimora, and um, uh, Grimora has a kind of a, it, this is the structure for all of these. They have a kind of a, a base or house or whatever. You have a world map. You can go around and find their their spot. Then you go into their tower or house or whatever, and they've got a series of chumps that you have to fight before you can face off against the scribe. And they are in increasing difficulty. And so the first one is like crazy easy. And it's just like, hey, do you remember how those mechanics worked? Great. Then you'll you'll beat this fight. Um, but it continues to increase the difficulty. And each of those gives you an op option to get some more cards. And I thought that was a really 
good pacing change. Yeah. Um, the, the structure and the pacing here is really like a, I, I would really compare to a Pokemon game. You really, it really feels like going to a Pokemon yeah. gym, right? Where, you know, you're going to fight a bunch of little mini bosses and then fight the big boss. Um, and th- th- what I like about this is at least in the first boss you go to one or two, you really are going to be forced to consider, um, how to structure a deck around actually beating them, right? It's, I did not find myself completely steamrolling this section. I had to really think, okay, this is a, this is a a boss fight where, and it's also, I think wisely, basically these boss fights play out the same way each time. So you can take a step back and think, how can I build my deck around beating this specific fight, right? Um, and and as you as you get through that and you're unlocking um, more cards by beating other enemies and, and uh, getting packs, those packs are random. So that's, you know, you have some of that kind of random fun of like figuring out what rare cards you're going to get. And in this section, just, it's not too hard to build those decks. Like the rare cards are just genuinely stronger than the common cards. And, uh, you know, it, figuring out how to set up some kind of synergy is usually enough to, to, to make it work and snowball. But there are some, neat twists to the gameplay. Uh, one example is the hammer. Um, more and more, it becomes really important for you to choose when and where your cards die. Uh, and to that end, they give you a hammer that you can use to kill your own cards at any time, which is really, um, very cool. Uh, there are situations in act one where that would have been really useful. And in fact, in act one, on the wall, a couple of items. There's a hammer bolted to the wall so that you can't use it. And there's also a magic paintbrush bolted to the wall so you can't use it. That's um, magnificent. Oh, I didn't put that together. I, you know, the whole, I spent the whole first act like going and clicking on those things and trying to unbolt yeah. them from the wall, thinking like this will come up in a puzzle and you never do. And I'd forgotten about it when by the time it came to – but yeah, of course, uh-huh. those are all of the all of the tools from the other scribes that Leshy is is uh, preventing you from using. That's awesome. I didn't think about that. Yeah, he has he's locked you out of those things. Um, but yeah, you know, you make your way through um, the. Th- this is a fun act because there are, it it also is recontextualizing a lot of the characters. Like when you get to Leshy's place, you're seeing a lot of those mini bosses of his, like the Trapper and the Prospector as characters in the world here, um, like the little mini bosses on the way to get to him. And it does some interesting characterization around them. Like they're all basically just video game characters, but some of the different ones have varying levels of awareness of the fact that they're in a game and that something unusual is going on in that game. Like that they have now been kind of released from being kind of imprisoned by Leshy. Many of them kind of are aware of this. Um, and in particular, if you go to the dock in act two, uh, that is near Leshy's cabin. Um, there's a character who's kind of like on a bridge there, uh, or same character that's like blocking the bridge. I don't know who that character is. It's just like this weird green skinned person. Um, but that person is going to dispense tips and is also clearly very aware of the fact that they're kind of trapped in a video game. Yeah, that's when you start to realize that, like, this... It's almost as if these characters 
are alive within the game and are existing beyond the um you know the the code if you will um this is when i started to get some uh th- some some thomas was alone uh vibes as well yeah and we as as luke carter have come in and upset the balance because uh leshy had kind of claimed dominance and ensnared the other scribes but now having loaded up the game and started a new one we have unleashed the other scribes from leshy's control and as you go through and you beat each of the four different scribes um you know that that's a theme that kind of builds as we get towards the next act but before we get into anything that happens in the next act is there anything in act two that you think we really should uh remark on i have some secrets that i liked I'm interested to hear secrets. I felt like I accidentally exited Act Two like faster than I should have. I was kind of like riding a a wave of success, and I just went and I was like, "Damn, I shouldn't have left Act Two because there was definitely some puzzles that I I knew were there, but I did not complete before I left, and I was a little bummed to have left so quickly." So there are a lot of secrets in act two, um, I will point you in some directions on them. Like for, for instance, um, there's like that dock is a, is a great place to start. Um, once you explore a little bit, you'll unlock the watch the world map because you'll find the mycologists from act one. Uh, they'll pop back up and, uh, that's a really good line to explore. Uh, if you're interested in finding the secrets, I found the secrets kind of, uh, Kind of rewarding, but kind of not, because I think it's worth mentioning that there was this whole ARG that goes along with the game, Mm -hmm. and some of the secrets are giving you backstory on Luke and things about the game. Some of the secrets are things that were meant to lead to that ARG, and I don't, I was not playing that ARG, I wasn't playing this right as, as release happened, so I don't think, and now, you know, that has all even been solved, so I think there's a little bit of, uh, uh, thing, there are some cool things to find, uh, but the really cool stuff to find is extra cards and extra bosses. Um, watch out for those. Oh, there's a coin card called the Obol. It's like two half coins. Using those together is part of something. Uh, there's a secret in the basement of Grimora's um, spot that's related to that. It's all related to the Bone Lord, which is the thing you were sacrificing cards to one i found is uh keep an eye out for tentacles and if you uh mm-hmm. click those tentacles enough times absolutely yep absolutely yeah there's a they're, they're in a couple of places um <clears throat> and then one final one is that um uh, in the wizard's tower there is a training dummy and if you really want to crack act two wide open and see all the cards which i very much did uh, I discovered that the training dummy does dispense uh, the kind of act two equivalent of teeth, which is foils. Um, you can play that training dummy as many times as you want. Um, and if you build your deck right, you can rack up sheerly insane number of foils and then go to any of the vendors that sell card packs and just basically buy packs until you have unlocked every single card, which nice. I found to be super fun. There are some cards that are secret. You'll have to explore around. So for example, uh, look at those obols and things like that. But uh, yeah, it is very possible. And I think fun to unlock all the cards. Um, and uh, yeah, once you wrap it up, 
the, the the last thing you do right in that act is to beat all four of the scribes, and then you get to pick which scribe you are going to replace. Uh, who did you guys pick? So I picked Leshy because my thought at the time was like, you know, fuck that guy. Like he he clearly tried to you know yeah, do fuck that dude. the other three scribes dirty, and he killed me literally a dozen plus times. Uh, I'm ready to you know take him out right and yeah. uh so i thought okay great i'm gonna i'm gonna take out leshy and i'll get some kind of cool cut scene at, i'll get some kind of cool cut scene at the end we'll see where this is going but that's not what happened yeah i thought i i did the same thing reagan and, and the and the game is like everybody in the world is so pissed at leshy for what he did so i was like all right yeah you know i i picked the po3 deck to start but like I'm going to take Leshy's spot so that this doesn't happen again. And then, yeah. And then uh, the beginning of act three, but Shane, who did you, who did you pick to replace? I think I picked Grimora because I had her deck. Uh, But then this, well, and then the second time I I picked PO three and I guess here's the secret. It doesn't really matter who you pick. It doesn't matter. PO three jumps out and is like, Hey, uh, I'm taking over this whole thing now. Um, doesn't matter who you picked, uh, you are going to go up against me. And now we go to Act 3. The third act is really similar in style to the first, in that you are sitting in a 3D space, much like the cabin. But in this case, it's a robot factory. It's, in fact, the robot factory that you saw in Act 2. And the this is it's once again basically throwing out a lot. You're starting over with a new deck. Uh, it's throwing out a lot of the mechanics that you saw in Act 1 and Act 2. Um, and we're now facing off against PO3, the robot boss, um, who is trying to perform some kind of technical ascendance. And as you go through this sort of... Uh, it's no longer exactly a roguelike because you're kind of clicking around and moving screen to screen... But it is a bit of a roguelike. It's just very Yeah, I would say it's a, a little bit of a hybrid between the structure between Act 1 and 2, where you have yeah. more freedom of movement. It's not just like straight through on a on a like Slay the Spire style map. Um, or it's not Slay the Spire style. What is that style of map? But you know what I'm talking uh, about. The sort yeah, of it's Turkish, like Slay the yeah, Spire. Or, yeah, yeah, I guess Slay the Spire does that too. Yeah, right. So that style of map. Um, it's more like, you know, you have a, you have like screens that you can choose to go to various different places and there's checkpoints. It's like a dungeon crawler. You're going through, you're going through a dungeon and there's checkpoints. And once you make it to a checkpoint, you've sort of cleared the (laughs) area and the things won't respawn. And they have dark souls style, uh, uh, dropping your items, or in this case, money, when you die, yeah. go back and collect it. Dark Souls style. So you know there they've been go. playing video games this decade. Yes. And this is a particularly challenging section. This is this is it a is. very challenging section for the for the card for the even the committed card gamer. Um, the, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So first off, Po3 and his lackeys um, have a lot of the death cards from your previous runs. Um, and I found myself at least at the start dying a, like an absolute ton in this run. Um, you really have to carefully manage your money because you can lose all your money by not collecting it. If you don't go back and pick it up from where you died, um, basically everything's in a grid. Also, it's worth mentioning in this final section, there are a lot. So there are a lot of, um, secret paths that you can follow. 
you are navigating around by clicking on arrows at the edge of the screen that represent like, go this way, go that way. You can go this way. But there's a lot of them that only appear on mouse over. So on basically every screen, it does pay off to mouse around the edge of the map and see where you can go. So for example, yeah, there's a whole catch that. secret boss that you can completely miss. That's the mycologist um, there. And this is also an act that returns the kind of what we've been calling the cabin puzzles. So in this case, it's like the robot factory. Um, there's basically everything you saw in act one. You're also going to get here in act three. Um, Where's where this is different. Any though, is strong like, memories um, from act three. Yes. Yeah, so the thing that really struck me about this is that this is the game is, has been like fourth wall breaking from the beginning, but here it's really straining at the edges. And uh, I something I really like about this approach is that like we played other games that have tried to break the fourth wall in interesting ways. And notable things would be things like Undertale. But here it's really trying to, or, or like Doki Doki Literature Club, for example. But like this is trying to break the fourth wall with a very specific plot reason in mind. Um, since we're spoiling, I think it's okay for me to talk about um, PO3's sure. ultimate plan here, uh, which I think is great. So. Yes. So he's talking from the very beginning about the transcendence and the transcendence is like PO3 and all the other scribes live in a video game. PO3 uh, wants uh, wants to expand into the, the rest of the world. And his approach to this is he's trying to get you to give him access to your computer and the Internet so that he can upload the game to the Internet. Uh, presumably to steam <laughs> in order yeah. to uh in order to get more copies of himself out into the world where he can gain more power he's literally trying to get like game screenshots mm -hmm. and internet access to post the game to steam it's great so yeah the the bosses continually ask you to do things like uh like the one that really surprised me the most was there was a, a moment where it asks the boss asks you to choose files from it, first of all it shows you a big dialogue saying ask give, asking permission to access your hard drive which would have made me more nervous uh, if I were playing on a computer that wasn't basically just my gaming computer with not that much stuff on it but um I gave it permission to access my hard drive and then it pops up a window during the boss fight that asks you to browse through a representation of your actual files on your actual computer's hard drive and choose files that match certain criteria. So, for example, there's, you know, it asks you to choose like the largest file you can find um, without. So I have to browse through all the files on my hard drive and figure out like, well, what's a big file? And then it turns that into a card in the in the game, which is cool in the moment, but also it builds in that you realize that these bosses that are continually asking you to do weird stuff with your computer, like give it access to the internet uh, or, or, you know, take screenshots are actually uh, like you are giving PO3 access to perform his final act, which is going to be to try to upload inscription.exe to, I don't think he says you know the what name, that but really reminded me of. What's that? So uh, a long time ago, there was a Mac freeware game. And I had to Google this one real quick to refresh my memory. But it was actually made by uh, Zach Gage um, that basically was called Lose Lose. And it was um, played out kind of like Space Invaders, except every alien that you shoot would randomly uh, delete a file from your computer. And then if you <laughs> collide with an alien, the game would delete itself. That's great. Uh, that's in, that's that's very scary. <laughs> yeah. 
This is not for the faint of heart, that game. <laughs> this game, yeah. at least you're picking files. Yeah, and, and to be clear, it doesn't actually do anything to your computer. Like, it, it kind of implies when you're choosing files that it's going to turn into cards, that it's going to destroy them in some way, and it does not. It does not actually mess with your computer in any actual serious way, but it does enough to make you nervous. Um, and uh, I love that. I love that approach, but I also really loved, like, confronting this idea that, like, okay, we now know fully what's going on here. This is a haunted video game right this is a video game where something has gone badly wrong the main characters want out but they also want to they want to kill or get you know get one over on each other within the game uh at first uh leshy had control um and maybe he was a bastard but po3 is worse and he not only wants to get one over on all of his uh all of his enemies within the card game he also wants out he wants out onto the internet to uh to do you know to go on being him right he wants off of this one floppy disk uh this one haunted floppy he wants to get out onto steam and have millions of people worldwide yeah. uh trapped in his game or whatever it's a really um, good i love it twist. i love that yeah it's a really good uh, turn you know you have the act one you're like what the hell is going on act two is like oh my god it's what a change what a new experience and then act three it's again a completely like 180 degree turn on where the story's going what's happening and it all just culminates in what in, in visual a, change all new graphics all yeah. new you know it's yeah. it's very good um and I, I mean, is there more we want to talk about uh, as far as the game goes before we talk? Go back to no, our old friend Luke Carter, and then uh, yeah, Luke, and then bring it back together. Um, yeah. So we haven't been talking about the other. There was at least one moment with FMV. I think in the middle of Act Two, where we learn that like Luke has tried to contact Gamefuna, the company that made uh, Inscription. Uh, and got a threatening letter from them telling them telling him that he needed to hand over all copies of the game uh you know like a like a copyright notice basically um and they sent a person a, a you know a, a sort of severely dressed woman uh to his house to make sort of vague uh veiled threats um and uh so we can see him kind of like starting to question what's going on with this game this this creepy thing yeah. and like i don't know what do, do i miss anything from that but like it, it it's just clear it's it's becoming real life dangerous yeah we we learn a couple things besides the fact that um the company is like we don't know what you're talking about please send all copies of this game directly to us you know like there's definitely some cover up going like you on have some of our property yeah you know we there's definitely our property or we're going to sue you yeah. You get this feeling that there is the the company is obviously trying to cover it up. Uh and then um uh Luke is becoming more and more paranoid, more and more freaked out trying to figure out because people are coming to his house now and he's getting these threatening emails. He's starting to to panic a little bit. Um and then you start to learn uh and I think this is in act 3. Yeah. Uh you start to learn about Casey. Right. Yeah, Act Three is also where you you start to get a you get a you start to get a lot once yeah. the game has access to your hard drive, aka Luke's hard drive. Um, it starts to weave in a lot of stuff from the internet and from Luke's hard drive into the game, and you start finding these like little side areas and rooms 
or like secret files, things you can click on that give you stuff that's literally out of like Luke's diary. And right. what it starts to reveal is that Luke had a sister, Casey, who was um, also like really into – so it wasn't Luke's sister, Casey? No, Sorry. no, no. no, no. Casey, Casey was the girl that worked for Game Funa. Um, I don't think it gives us – The I, sister is, is a different name. He got it from uh, – so he contacted the woman he bought the inscription cards from. And it was from that ga- or that garage sale. And uh, the woman was like, oh, those belong to my daughter. She worked for Game Funa. Her name is Casey. So Casey, you, you know the name Casey because she's on a death card in Act 1, which is spooky as hell. And uh, you learn that she died in a fire at the Game Funa studios while she was working you know probably on the inscription game and so now like why is there a card in the game a death card in the game for a woman who died in real life um there's also like other names that are in the game on death cards like reginald and uh barry wilkinson yeah, you know, so it's like, has this game been killing people? Did, did you guys see the uh, the stuff that the ARG has uncovered about this side of things? Because, like, there's there's some stuff about this that's, like, being uncovered as part of the ARG that gives some more backstory. I think it's probably okay to include it here. Um, you can, you know, look this stuff up. The ARG was quite in-depth. You know, you had to do things like, uh, like find uh, long strings of hexadecimal and use them to uh, uh, decode files that come installed as part of the package in Steam. You know, things happening that are entirely outside of the game, things via the website, etc. Um, there's like some parts that had to be translated from Polish. Kind of not not the most in depth ARG ever, but yeah. like you know, pr- pretty notable. And some of the things that you discover is the the game continually makes reference to something called the old data. Um, the old data is haunted data that existed on the floppy drive before inscription. Um, and what it is, is unknown. Um, but there's a, a kind of a backstory where you learn that like the floppy drive, this, or this, this floppy disk rather, um, came from, uh, from, I think they said Russia, uh, or rather the old data came from Russia. It was like exfiltrated by a spy during the cold war and had, uh, you know, was, was a, was a digitized version of some, like, uh, some, uh, you know, Nazi, uh, of course. You know, what's the word? <laughs> like, um, uh, uh, mysticism yes. shit. Yeah. And, uh, so this is the, the, this is the Carnoffel code. And the, right, the, there yeah. are a lot of the, a cre- lot of the characters in the game, uh, they won't, they, they talk about it in like vague references. The only one that I think even really talks about it is the uh, mycologist when you really solve all of their puzzles and get into it. But the the Carnoffel code uh, is related to a secret you can find in Act 2. Uh, you find if you get to the Bone Lord in Act 2, you can find that it's – you have to walk basically through – a corpse that's in a Nazi uniform and in the breast pocket of that corpse's clothes is a Carnoffel deck. Carnoffel is like a, like a, a, a deck. Like it's like a card game. It's a German card game. Um, which by the way, the douse is from Carnoffel. 
Interesting. Uh, but yeah, there was there was the, a there was a reference that like the um this is in the things I was reading about the um the ARG that like the old data if I'm remembering this correctly it's like it's a digitized version of a code that was found as a uh, as a uh, specific sort order of a Karnoffel deck found on the corpse of Hitler or something like yes, that. Yes, it was found so that is you're literally walking through Hitler's corpse to get mm-hmm. to the Bone Lord Classic. and that is the that is the uh yeah and so there the and so is Goebbels. yeah i guess you you can get um if you're bringing the pelts to the trader in act 3 you will an- uncover a good chunk of this information but this is actually something mm-hmm. i don't really like i don't want games to ask me to go do some arg thing in order to get the rest of the lore like this was a game that i I was going back and replaying each of these acts to like dig as deep as I could because I was enjoying it that much. I don't like that. That doesn't get me everything, but I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of agree. Their- I think this is kind of like one of Daniel Mullen's things, you know, and you know, ARGs are good marketing. Um, it does sort of feel like the whole like Carnoffel code, you know, uh, Nazi data thing is unnecessary for the game it, it uh, you know it, it would be nice if it was a little you know if it's going to be part of the lore it would be nice if it was a little easier to include but the other part of this that is more in the game is that this you know so we know that uh, this strange nazi backstory basically just means that this like deeply haunted uh in some sense uh floppy disk makes its way from uh soviet russia to the u.s it's it's hidden in a bunch of of uh of blanks and it's used by the game developers at game funa to store the game and perhaps or obviously because of the sort of messed up nature of whatever is going on on this floppy disk by putting this game on there it turns the game into you know what what we've been playing through yeah Uh, and game funa does their best apparently to you know to destroy the game to bury it in the woods, et cetera. Uh, Casey probably loses her life as part of this. Um, we don't know, I think, exactly how the game ends up on only you know, serve on one surviving floppy disk and buried out in the woods. Um, but like, you can kind of guess at some of the steps that led yeah. there. You know? So let's 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 talk about the two yeah. endings and let's bring let's it the, home. The so endings. there's let's bring it home. There's the the ending of the inscription storyline. Is that um, after you've defeated PO3 and you've essentially stopped the trans the Great Transcendence, um, you've halted it. Um, shoot, one of the scribes, I think, is it Grimora or um, I think or, it's Grimora. Yeah, yeah. Grimora. Basically, um, they all all the other scribes are like, "All right, let's reset the game. Fine, we'll go back to square one." Um, but Grimora says, "Nope, this is not right. We're done." And she executes like a basically a self-destruct. She deletes the game. And you get this really cool sort of ending cutscene hybrid game moment where you play one last hand against each of the scribes in a very dramatic setting where like it would be pretty obnoxious to actually play a full game in those settings. But this ending was so good. Yeah. Uh yeah. but like it's 
it's really dramatic. They're all basically giving their death speeches while they're being deleted. You learn a little bit more about Leshy, which also Leshy, uh, when he's when he's like dying, he's like, I know you picked to replace me, but I don't have time to talk to you about that right now or something, which is uh, <laughs> a funny acknowledgement of a character of a choice that you made that really doesn't mean anything at all. At least they tied it together there. And and ultimately the game gets completely deleted and you know, you assume barring a sequel, this is the end of inscription. And then you get your last look of FMV and uh, you've got Luke Carter who is panicked at this point and he's talking to a reporter, which is very funny because he's trying to explain uh, he's trying to explain to the reporter, <laughs> like, I found a game and it's got like all these guys on it. And, you know, X, Y, and the reporter's like, what do you mean? And there's a knock on the door. Is it a virus? Yeah. He's like, it's got <laughs> access to your computer. He's like, no, I gave it, you know, and, uh, and then there's a knock on the door and he's like, I told you guys to leave me alone. And then you hear a gunshot camera falls. You see a hand fall in front of the camera and then it's, game over and it's like ah oh, shit <laughs> they so they killed you know luke carter was assumably killed by uh by game funa or whoever so i i want to talk about a couple quick moments out of that ending sequence that i thought were especially cool um the the idea that like okay you know we're, we're, the game is being deleted and in those final moments all of these scribes want to take their final moment to like play a final hand against you and then shake your hand um, you know, you, you know, the, the, the handshake, I felt a little poignant, you know, because they, they all know they're you know good game. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they were all neat. Um, and it gave you some, glimpses I think it's worth like dr- driving home here. We, we haven't really mentioned like exactly what happened. The other scribes see what PO three is trying to do and right. they have a moment of decision and it's Grimora who says, well, what can they, they sort of confer with each other and say, what can we do here to stop him? And Grimora is the one who decides to delete the delete all of inscription itself. Right. Mm-hmm. And that and that that's what kicks off this ending where you're going through and playing each of the scribes. And you start off by, you know, I, I forget which order you hit them in, but you go to each scribe I think you and playing first. a little bit of their game. And what I really liked about this is it. This is a game that has always been like willing to kind of surprise you and show you something different. And in this ending, it's taking you to this sort of 3D eyesed version of some of the stuff that you wouldn't have seen. Like, I feel like there could have been a whole act where you do the kind of cabin version of Grimora or the cabin version of Magnificus. Uh, but we mm-hmm. only see them in 3D here in this ending and so we start off with grimora and we get the kind of creepy bone version of everything um while you play one match against her and it's win or lose it doesn't matter we're really on the downslope here um but it is kind of that final match and you're having this conversation with them as you go yeah you can't even win or lose like i've got uh one of them i got it where i was dealing a bunch of damage and it was like going nowhere. It, there's just clearly a set amount of turns that it's going to be played through yeah. in the cutscene, essentially. Yeah. As the game gets deleted, 
you know, even yeah. vital uh, game mechanic related objects in the environment are being deleted and disappearing. So you're playing you're playing cards in a in a disappearing house. My absolute favorite moment in this ending is is you're up against Leshy, right? So you're back in the cabin, you're playing against Leshy, and Leshy is giving you this like first off, he's giving you a lot Leshy's giving you a lot more respect than he previously did. And um you know, the the sequence that Grimora has started deleting everything is still playing out. And so things are just sort of you're seeing kind of a scroll of text and things are starting to disappear as they're being deleted. And at one point the scales uh, disappear and he says, Oh, well, it's okay. Um, We're, we're not really here to keep score. You know, we're, we're, we're here. We're just here to, to play for fun. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. I just love that moment. It's so good. It's a very Uh, somber. It's a very somber ending between all of the scribes getting deleted and Luke Carter getting killed all in like five minutes of the ending. It's like I I ended the game being like two things. What the fuck just happened? And then also like, Oh, like I kind of like these guys, you know, it's a good horror Mm. game ending, you know, and like him being murdered by game Thuna is a good, you know, ending to the, the real world uh, spookiness Mm -hmm. that's happening. But I was, it's kind of bummed when that was the I, ending. I don't think you'll see a sequel to this, but did you see the after credits uh, uh, shot video? Uh, well, maybe there's not. A, there's a there's a final video after the credits uh, that's just a, a shot of Luke is Luke is probably already dead in this moment, and there's a sort of a slowly zooming in shot of his computer screen, and it's you know saying you know like deletion completed, and then there's a final message that says. Upload completed. <laughs> well, that's it going on to uh, Steam, right? You know, I know. I love it. I love it because, like, well, actually, PO3, PO, of course, PO3's plan did actually work because here we all are playing the game, right? Yeah. It made it out onto Steam. So I don't know. I I think this is just such a great ending and like really like full of such surprises and, and mind blowing shit. Like, I, I can't say enough good things about this from a from like a uh, like willingness to like throw like just the it, it blows my mind that like the last 10 minutes of this game involves two scenes with entirely bespoke assets that were not used anywhere else. Whole 3D models of characters doing custom animations and things like that. Like like you get the whole cool weird Beyblade armband card deck thing with the with, with Magnifico's scene or whatever, you know, like yeah. all of this stuff is like this game is so interested in like surprising you that it is willing to spend like this developer Daniel Mullins and his team spent a ton of time and money on these bits that were like not even really part of the game just to just to like drive home their like cool ending they thought up it it's i i think it's really really great yeah in particular i loved that magnificus's version of the, this card game um looks basically like Yu-Gi-Oh, like a weird Yu-Gi-Oh. Or yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh, yeah. I say I said Beyblade, I meant Yu-Gi-Oh. He had the arm thing. It's so silly. Oh yeah. Man. 
Yeah, uh, it's a, I it's love it. Cool. I, if I love you don't it. know your difference between your Beyblades and your Yu-Gi-Ohs, I just don't know what I can do for you. Mm. Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm clearly on this show to be the the card game idiot. So, you know, Beyblade, Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever. It's all the same to me. You don't even use cards in Beyblade, dude. There's tops. They're little spinning tops. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I've never played either Beyblade or Yu-Gi-Oh, Shane. Have you? I mean, that's clearly your fatal flaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, if you've made it this far into the episode, um, thanks for listening. We highly recommend yeah. you play this game. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you're listening at this point, like, <laughs> and you maybe don't play game, anymore. Yeah. I don't know. Why bother? You already made your choice. <laughs> yeah, we we just probably in mo- more detail than we've ever done for a game we just walked through the plot of this of this game so, i know i know yeah, i know like yeah. oh man i'm glad you guys I, I couldn't did help this with it. me because i really enjoyed this one mm-hmm. yeah me too yeah, yeah. I, this, is a, this was a this is a great game i i'm not 100 percent sure this is my game of the year but it's probably in the top three no questions asked and yeah. i know we're probably gonna be fighting about it when it comes to make our lists so i'm glad yeah. we uh, all three played it I'll say this. I'm having Sorry, a hard Laura. time. I'm having a hard time right now thinking what goes above it. That's where I'm at right now. So, uh, but we'll see if we got a little bit of time before that. Um, so, you know, we don't, you know, these spoiler full episodes, like our, I feel can, like our ending uh, is, can I get you know, a, can I get a time clock check from you guys? Not uh, for the, for the game. Like how long did it actually take you to beat? Because there, here's my main reason that like, it might not end up on the short, my short game, short game, game of the year list is that it was kind of long, longer than I thought it would be uh, by a noticeable margin. I think it still fits like roughly in our territory, but like I, I, I I did a lot of like idling at menus and things yeah. on this game, but like my my Steam clock ended up at like almost twenty hours. I which truly is like don't know. Way, way too long. Yeah, I I have a bad habit of just like leaving a game running and like for like two days just on my computer. So it's like my Steam mm-hmm. clock says like eighty five hours or something like that. Yeah. So I, I truly I think if I'd been better at the cards, I think I would have been able like I would have been able to get through all the plot relevant stuff uh with uh, you know in in Mine probably ten hours and I spent a lot Oh yeah. What did you end up at? I'm getting a lot better about not just leaving a game running all night so that I can actually look at my Steam clock. And uh mine says twelve hours. Man, um you're much faster than me. I yeah mine said twelve hours when I went went and looked at it but i have since gone back and replayed act two completely so now i'm up to like 13 something hours see that's i think i spent more time in act one than the rest of the game combined because i got so uh like i just did not recognize the the path of uh, puzzles. I kept misdiagnosing what I was supposed to do, and I just kept beating Leshy. And then I finally got out of that, and I finished the game in like a handful of hours after that. So I don't know. I don't know how long I spent, but I could have spent a lot less time if I was uh, a smarter person. But, you know, good at card games, though. So, yeah, it's a balance. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad we made it through this together. Any last thoughts on this game before we wrap it up? I'm glad we did it together, too. I really think this game would benefit from an endless mode, like a uh, Act 1 expanded with elements of Act 2 uh, that you could kind of just grind and loop through. I just really would like to see something yeah. like that. 
I was thinking it would be fun if they made an iPhone or a, a mobile app that just took all the different games and and took it and made it just that, just isolated. I want to play the card game. I want to play the Act 1 card game. I want to play the Act 2 card game. I want to play the Act 3 card game. Like, I think that would be fun. Um, but uh, I'd be surprised if anything like that happens. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, the, the surprise here was that like, like this seemed from to me even from the very beginning like this was a game that was like putting its uh its like aesthetic and mystery and puzzles and even story first um and I was very surprised that its card game ended up being so mechanically interesting and sound yeah. Yeah. um and so that but it, yeah I I I don't know if there's enough gas in this car for it to to go as a as a card experience all on its own Probably not, but if you could have access to all of them and mix and match and things like that, I think you could get some good playtime out of it because it is a good yeah. card game. Um, it's just not very deep and it's not supposed to be because you move through the different iterations of it pretty frequently. Um, mm. You know, but I could see them like the the core mechanic of how the game works is really, really good and really cool. I mean, that's mostly what we talked about in episode one of this game. So like, yeah, it's there. It's just, you know, I'm really glad we did. There's not that many cards. There's not that many sigils. Like it, it runs dry relatively quickly, but if they wanted to just expand on the card game, they totally could and could make a very complex card game out of this. Uh, it's, it's a good combination. Shane has done a lot of work to explain all the different card games that it kind of combines and I, I think it's it's a good card game on top of the crazy world building. So, um, but let's right. let's get out of here. So, we're, <laughs> we're yeah. At. Let's let's hit the hit eject. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of this short game, this extra long episode that was the extra long coda to another already pretty long episode. Uh, thank you so much. And next episode. I should have put this at the beginning. I'm going to record it right now, and I'm going to stick it at the beginning, but I'll I'll do that in a second. Uh, here's – Hey there, beginning of the episode. As I said at the beginning of the episode, as I will have said by the time I edit it in, uh, our next episode is episode 300, believe it or not. And so uh, we are doing a we did it. Q&A episode, uh, questions and answers. Uh, we want to hear your questions and or topic suggestions. So whether that's uh, questions about games or life or silly questions, you know, you want to ask us about our uh, uh, childhoods or traumas or whatever. Anything's fair game. We Don't are going to take as many uh, list. Ask me my video game opinions, please. Those two. Uh, traumatic video game opinions. Uh, you can send them to us any way you can get in touch with the show. You can drop us a line on our Discord if you're one of our patrons. If you are, thank you very much. Otherwise, you can email us at info at shortgame.net. You can find our contact form on our website. You can find us on Twitter at underscore shortgame. All of those are valid ways to get us questions, and we will be including as many of them as we can in our upcoming 300th episode. Um, also, uh, thank you for just listening to the show. And you can find our website, www.theshortgame.net. You can find us on Twitter. I already mentioned that, underscore short game. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, you can find other guys on on Twitter as well. Where are you? Shane. <laughs> I'm on Twitter <laughs> at 8BitShane. But I have one final thought for you. Always pick Mantis God. Oh, always pick always. Mantis God. You always got to pick Mantis God. And Nate, where can people find you? Along with other guys at Nate STL. <laughs> 
And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.